Okay, so every blessing to you all and uh, welcome back to my walking, talking pulpit. It's a very beautiful day today. I'd say it's probably in the mid to late 20s, which for the UK around this time of the year isn't to be sniffed at. If we are fortunate, we get maybe two or three months a year of decent weather and every so often we get good weather it was good in June it was uh, dry for the most part warm for the most part and of course if the weather is decent we get some good street uh, conversations so no complaints from me whatsoever just a couple of tips to share with you all before I get into the subject today of worship, not worry. For those of you which are thinking about going for a walk or are thinking about doing some exercise, maybe for the first time in a long time, take a bottle of water with you if you can. When I first started walking, just under 10 years ago, or thereabouts, I hadn't walked for a long time. In fact, if the truth be known, I hadn't done much exercise for a long time. And I was out of shape. And uh, like I said last time, during my three terrible D's message, by the time I got home, after walking a mile, or thereabouts, I was exhausted. I was shamefully out of shape, so I had to build up to get to where I now am, and therefore a five or even six mile walk is no big deal, and yet by the time I return I will be perspiring, I will be somewhat in need of a break. So if you're going to start exercising, Start slow and build up. As I say, walk before you run. Get some water because you will dehydrate and there's nothing worse than dehydrating. Take a towel with you because you may want to wipe the sweat off your brow. Maybe take a light coat because where I live in the northwest of England, it rains a lot, and uh, many a time I've been caught during my walk by the rain, and I've got home soaking wet. So take a light coat if you can, especially for the summer months. And on top of all those things, get a backpack. Put your backpack on your back, water inside, and a light coat. But I've been walking for maybe seven or eight years now and I try and do this like I say two or three times a week I was able to go almost every day up until about a year ago or so and that was good but it takes time to walk on top of that if you're not careful it can also become an idol you wouldn't think that would you but it can become an idol I've seen uh, interviews and I've read 
accounts of people that have got into running and they would go running every day and I mean every day like seven days a week and they would run in the morning and also in the evening and some of the accounts I've heard have been somewhat startling I've heard one account of a couple that got into regular exercise and the relationship broke down because one was more into it than the other and it became somewhat of an idol. Gotta be careful of these types of things. You wouldn't think that something as harmless or as innocent as this could result in becoming an idol. And just because we're saved doesn't mean we can't fall into the trap of becoming an idolater. In fact, the last verse from 1 John chapter 5 says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. That's right. John the Apostle is writing to saved people and he says, be careful. Keep yourselves from idols. So please, be careful. Examine yourself. And the quickest way to know whether you are guilty of idolatry is to make a note as to how much time you spend doing something such as exercise or watching television or surfing the net compared to the amount of time you spend in the Word of God, in prayer and fellowship with the Lord. If the two match up, praise the Lord. If they don't, deal with it. So hopefully some helpful opening comments for you all. I have started my walk uh, or I should say I have started my recording somewhat earlier than usual. When I go for a walk I have at least one very steep hill to climb and I would say I'm probably around a quarter of a mile from that hill because I walk quickly because I do what's called a power walk. I'm able to climb it pretty quickly and yet in around 10 minutes or now you may think James is somewhat out of breath is he okay well yes he's okay and yes I am out of breath but again I'm walking at speed on top of that it's hot so build up slowly don't do too much too soon wear a cap as well because too much sun will result in sunstroke and I know for some of you people this may be common sense and yet for others it may not be so I will leave those hopefully uh, helpful thoughts with you all and start my walk in earnest and uh, just navigate the traffic it's uh, it's somewhat helpful that I am a walker uh, being a pedestrian and also a driver I think it's helpful to be a driver and a pedestrian gives me a chance to see things from the aspect of a driver and on top of that to see things from the aspect of a walker so like I say I want to discuss the subject of worship not worry and there's one thing that we all struggle with or we will sooner or later it will be the subject of worry worrying about this and worrying about that 
and you might ask yourself why do we worry why do saved people worry well because we forget we forget previous lessons learnt we forget how the Lord has stepped in on so many occasions and helped us out and because we forget we repeat the same mistake again and again and again on top of that we are weak and on top of that we don't take the scripture as seriously as we really should do so as always we become our own worst enemies the apostles would worry during the Lord's time on the earth after his ascension and during the time of the epistles the Old Testament prophets would worry and there are several accounts of different people like Elijah who was so fearful of his life that he wanted to be taken home to glory and that goes back to what I mentioned last time about how for those of us which are saved we shouldn't be overly keen to go home to glory on top of that we shouldn't tempt the Lord when I first got saved I thought somewhat naively that I was now a sinless person that's right a sin free person I thought that I'd conquered the old nature I thought that I was sinless and I thought that it would make sense to save people to live a certain way to make us distinct to make us different from those around us to shame those around us of course that was incorrect and uh, after a while I soon realized that although I was changed redeemed there was still more than enough sin and wickedness and darkness in my soul being original sin of course which is in our blood that I probably could have perished 25 times 50 times 75 times 100 times in the first three months or six months or nine months of my salvation and that's why it's so important to understand imputation get that down and understand it because there's a battle going on amongst the brethren concerning the whole subject of sin and salvation referred to as soteriology in theological circles and it gets somewhat tiresome uh, to keep going over the same old ground with the same old people you see if you hold to conditional security and unfortunately most people do then you live in constant fear of the potential of losing your salvation and therefore you have to remain in a state of grace much like the Catholics teach and they hold that uh, power or they hold that influence they hold that belief over the heads of many Catholics around the world but thankfully as a Bible believer I know better I know that I can't save myself and uh, after 14 years of being saved I wouldn't even attempt to do so in fact let me say this to you 
and this may sound somewhat glib, uh, it's not meant to, but if you were to tell me 14 years ago, before I got saved, that once I get saved, there was a chance I could lose it, or if I didn't do A, B and C, I might lose it, or if it depended on how I lived after I was pardoned, I would have said to you, well, let's just call it a day now. I wouldn't even have attempted to continue on because I know that I can't do anything to warrant the Lord's mercy and forgiveness. And by the way, I'm now at the halfway point of this very steep hill and I've got the sun beaming down on me, but don't worry, I've got my shades and cap on. I'm somewhat experienced when it comes to power walking. I walk in the rain, in the sun, uh, and in the snow, and I love it. I can say honestly that after all the years of walking, never once have I got home and thought, I wish I hadn't gone out for a walk today. I wish I stayed at home and done this or that. No, never. I'm always glad to uh, do this walk and then go home and have a cup of water. But like I say, if you were to tell me many years ago before I got saved that it was possible that if I didn't live a certain way, I would lose it. I would say quite simply to you, well, in that case, let's call it a day. Because I know that I'm not able to earn brownie points with the Lord. I can't please him when it comes to my salvation. In fact, let me tell you this. Even after you get Christ's imputed righteousness, you're still no good. Look at Adam and Eve, the first couple on the earth allowed to live in the Garden of Eden. Adam was allowed to name the animals and yet they still fell. The moment they were tested, they fell. So you see, if our first parents would fall and fail, which they did, what hope is there for you and I? And that's why you have to hold to not only imputation, which means that Christ's goodness is given to you and your unrighteousness is given to him. But on top of that, you've got to hold to eternal security. Because if you don't, you've got no hope whatsoever. But go to the uh, New Testament. Look at the redeemed. Look at uh, John. Look at uh, Peter. Look at Paul. There's an account during the Gospels when the Samaritans wouldn't receive the Lord's message. And John, the son of Zebedee, along with his brother, was somewhat upset about that. And they wanted to call fire down from heaven. And Christ turned around and rebuked them. And he said, uh, how the Son of Man had come to seek and to save that which was lost. They were ignorant of the Lord's purpose, as was Peter. On the one hand, he's being commended by Jesus for recognizing his deity. And as a result, the Lord 
build his church on Peter's confession, not on Peter of course, and within two or three verses it says how Peter was rebuking him. Can you imagine that? Peter, probably the uh, main apostle or the uh, number one apostle that loved the Lord the most, John is called the Beloved, and he was entrusted with Mary and her children after Christ had died. But when it came to loving the Lord the most, I think it's fair to say that Peter was probably the number one apostle when it came to that. And yet Peter would be arguing with the Lord, would have to be corrected. In fact, the Lord says to Peter, uh, get thee behind me, Satan. You are an offence unto man or unto God. You don't know what you're talking about. You are speaking heresy, really, because you are trying to thwart the Son of Man's ministry. Well, from John's outburst, which was uh, corrected by the Lord to Peter, also rebuking the Lord, to the Apostle Paul, being told not to go to Jerusalem. And what does he do? He goes to Jerusalem. He was stubborn. Of course, the Lord was able to use that for his glory and for Paul's welfare, Romans 8, 28. And yet, three accounts of three different saved people messing up. Because again, our flesh is no good. And that's why I've always believed that although you're saved by grace and kept saved by grace, you're still no good. And that's why it's somewhat uh, disappointing to meet so many saved people who are self-righteous, who think that they're going to help the Lord out or they're going to help him uh, when it comes to their salvation or other people's salvation. Listen, either you trust Christ thoroughly and complicitly and sufficiently to save you or you don't. In other words, either you come to the Lord on his terms or don't bother coming at all. Because what the Lord doesn't want are partners with him in their atonement. The scripture says how he was the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, which means just that. He and he alone was the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. So you need to get under the blood if you're not a saved sinner. And if you are a saved sinner, you need to rest in the Saviour. But when it comes to the problem of worrying and not worshipping, we are all guilty of this. Because, like I say, we forget all too easily. The apostles forgot on numerous occasions all their victories, which they had been able to accomplish through the Lord. And as a result, they started to panic. In fact, there's an account in the Gospels when Jesus was walking on the water and Peter saw him, along with the other apostles, of course, 
and he said to Jesus, Lord, save me. And the Lord reached out and saved him. And there's two points to that story. Number one, Peter lacked faith. He was panicking. He was worrying. And that's what the Lord would say, Oh, ye little faith, where is your faith? Lord, help my unbelief. And on the other hand, that's a great picture of eternal security. That's a great picture of the Saviour. Saving us and keeping us saved. He gets a hold of our hand and he walks us from A to B. Much like a parent taking their child on an uh, outing, on an excursion. It's the parent's responsibility to get the child safely from A to B. Or if you board a plane, it's the captain's responsibility to get you from A to B. Or if you board a ship, it's the captain's responsibility to get you from A to B. You couldn't possibly uh, take control of a plane or a ship. Not unless you've been trained, of course. And that's why you have to allow him to take the wheel, take the controls, as it were. But, like I say, we forget. We, on so many occasions, are great disappointments to the Lord. Some of us have been saved for 10, 15, 20 and 25 years and yet we are still like children. We are still sucking on the dummy. We are still drinking from the bottle. We should be on solids and yet we are still at the level of kindergarten. It's a great shame and it can so easily be avoided. So, how do we get to a more productive level? Well, first of all, we have to reckon ourselves dead to the flesh, but alive to the spirit. And that, on the one hand, isn't as easy as you might think, because you are still alive, and you have a will, and you have a desire to do what you want to do. And I'm speaking to saved people now. Saved people, for the most, don't like to be told what to do. Saved people, for the most, resent the Lordship of Christ. That's right. They resent the Lordship of Christ. They don't like the idea of being told how to live their lives. And as a result, they kick against the Lord. And that's why many Christians are fruitless and as such, will arrive at the judgment seats of the Lord with nothing to show for their lives whatsoever. And yet, time after time, the scripture speaks about repenting, coming back into fellowship with the Lord. For three and a half years, the Lord crisscrossed Israel, preaching to a very stubborn and hardened group of people. The Old Testament prophets did the same for many years, calling on the Israelites to repent, and for the most, they wouldn't. They didn't repent. They thought they knew best. And therefore, with the Jews rejecting their prophets, they went into the Babylonian captivity. And that was 
I guess the most infamous of all of the uh, tragic stories of their fall, of their demise. Well, even during those dark days, the Lord would raise up prophets. In fact, I've often wondered during the Second World War how many Jews got saved in the concentration camps or during the awful regime of Joseph Stalin who had, I think, ten times more concentration camps than Adolf Hitler and yet the media never really report that and I wonder sometimes how many Jews got saved in his death camps only in eternity will we know for sure so you see you have to appreciate that whether you're saved or unsaved your spirit your will needs to be molded in fact the truth of the matter is this when the Lord first saves you he has to break you before he can use you and I speak from experience I've been through many uh, trials and tribulations where I've been broken down I've been molded by the potter and then put back together and I guess here I am 14 years on still going on with the Lord and yet all too often I have to be reminded again and again of past lessons learned see man is very complex man is very stubborn and yet in spite of all of that the Lord has a great love for his church and that's why he gives us the scripture and teachers to help us understand his word which allows us to understand his will the two go hand in hand I'll say this as well that when I assess my years as a saved sinner if I had spent more time worshipping the Lord and less time worrying I would probably be further in my walk with the Lord than I currently am you see most people worry about what others are thinking and saying in fact I heard a statistic a while ago which was quite shocking that most people that take their own life do so as a result of what they think somebody has said or thought about them and if that's true that is terrible because we were told from the book of James how poisonous our tongues are one moment we are worshipping the Lord the next moment we are gossiping backbiting and criticizing other people and James tells us that such activity is devilish it comes from the devil so I can only wonder if that statistic is correct if that account is correct of those taking their lives uh, do so as a result of what people said about them how many folks are going to arrive in eternity having to give an account 
or themselves for doing such a terrible thing. You know, words hurt. Words hurt. And we've all been stabbed in the back. We've all been uh, put through the mill. We've all had to face people pulling us to pieces. And yet, at the same time, I think sometimes we, if we are honest with ourselves, like to be the victim. Woe is me. Misery loves company. I want to feel sorry for myself. I'm hard done by. Everyone's against me. That sort of mentality. And that is also uh, unacceptable. It's bad enough to attack someone with your tongue. It's bad enough to overly worry about a situation. But to then turn around and rejoice in your failures or your standing in life, if you will, to use that as an alibi to do nothing, or if you're not saved, to not get saved, is quite shameful. You've got to get up. You've got to dust yourself off. You've got to shape up and ship out. You've got to help yourself. You see, life is very short. I've been saved 14 years, and I don't know where those years are gone. They've flown by. And what I would hate to experience would be an arrival at the judgment seats of the Lord. And had the Lord say to me, well done, thou good and faithful servant, but had you done this, or had you done that, or had you gone here, or had you gone there, I could have given you this, or I could have given you that. I had this in store for you. I had that prepared for you. But you lacked the faith. You were too busy worrying. You were too busy being preoccupied about what others were thinking and saying about you. And yet I told you that if you came to me, I would save you and I would keep you saved. I told you that you were greatly beloved. I told you that you are a child of God, a son of God, a royal priesthood. What more did you need? And you turn around and say, well, Lord, I appreciate all of those things. But unfortunately, my flesh, my old nature got the better of me. I took my eyes off you and I went into neutral, started to cruise, started to listen to what others were saying or what I thought others were saying and I became bitter, I became angry, I became overly self-righteous and therefore I guess I failed you Lord. And that could be quite a typical sight to behold. I think if we are honest with ourselves we shouldn't be unrealistic when it comes to most of us if we're not careful arriving in eternity by the skin of our teeth that's right by the skin of our teeth and yet one more time it doesn't need to be that way so let's try and pull this message together and let's try and end it on a positive note and you'll be glad to know that i'm past the halfway mark 
of my five mile walk. I had to stop recording for about 20 minutes due to the excessive wind and therefore hopefully when I come to editing this message and putting it together it will continue to make sense. What I want to try and do with these messages as well is keep them as raw as is possible. I don't want to put these out in a sort of polished form. This isn't uh, an ETC radio production. This isn't an open air pulpit production. This is yours truly walking throughout my neighborhood and others battling with the elements and distractions and what have you and pretty much giving you what comes into my mind. I've got no real, uh, there's no real preparation for this either. So what you're getting is something unusual. But like I say, let's try and end this on a positive note. Let's try and stop uh, afflicting ourselves uh, like the Opus Day people do. Let's stop whipping ourselves like certain Muslims do. Let's stop. Let's stop trying to bribe God as many Protestants do. And let's take a good, long, hard look at the Lord Jesus Christ and the Word of God. When God looks at man, he sees probably his greatest creation. And as a result, he has a love, perhaps even some pride in his greatest creation. And yet at the same time, he is grieved because his greatest creation continues to fail him, continues to fall short of his glory. Time after time he will save people, get the word of God to them, give them his sons imputed righteousness, answer their prayers, do this and that for them, and in spite of all those things, far too many of his children still failed him. They still managed to get into a mess. They still managed to backslide, go backwards, or stall, or become lukewarm. And as a result, he has to chastise his children like a good parent would do. And after chastising his children, after warning his children about disobedience and intentional uh, sinning, that's right, nobody sins by accident, people sin through choice, he starts to withdraw from their lives because they have withdrawn from him and they start to become barren, they start to become empty, they start to doubt, they start to wonder, they start to look within themselves, which is always a dangerous thing to do. And after a while they just drift. And for many of these people, they become great failures. They are the walking dead. And it's tragic and yet totally avoidable. Well, with that in mind, how can we get the best out of life? Well, Number one, 
reckon yourself dead to the flesh. Put the flesh down. Cut the flesh off. Number two, read the scriptures. And read the scriptures. And read the scriptures. Pray until you pray. Start doing what you can for the Lord. Get some tracks. Start going out. Make the most of your time. And you might say, well, I haven't got much time. Well, whatever time you do have, use it for the glory of the Lord. The cults are very successful in reaching out to non-members. And many people, unfortunately, are joining such groups which have no gospel. They are pseudo-Christians. They are false converts. They are the walking dead. And yet they are getting people into their folds because they are active. Well, if they can mobilize their people, why can't we? And of course we can, but we have to divorce ourselves from the world. We have to separate ourselves from the world. We have to remember that Jesus Christ is the author and finisher of our faith. He saves us, we don't save him. And therefore, if we turn back to him, if we confess our sins to him, if we put our idols away, if we return to our Bethel, he will turn back to us and welcome us with open arms. There's a great account of that in Luke chapter 15, when the prodigal son comes to himself and he turns back to his father, which is a picture of repentance, a change of mind, a change of direction, a change of attitude. And as he's turning back to his father, his father's running towards him. That's wonderful. Not just is the father prepared to forgive him, but he runs to his son. On top of that, he puts a ring on his finger. And I think he gives him a coat as well. He clothes him. He comforts him. And he says, my son was dead and he is now alive. And he prepares a feast for his wayward slash estranged son. And that's a great picture of reconciliation. And it's also a great picture of repentance for somebody who has just got saved. So come to the cross if you're not saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in his death, burial and resurrection and you are promised everlasting life. We call this grace. God's righteousness at Christ's expense. It's a wonderful thing to be saved. It's a wonderful thing to know that your sins are forgiven. It's a wonderful thing to have your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. It's a wonderful thing to experience this joy and this peace and this substance which before I got saved I'd never experienced a day in my life and it's also a great blessing to be able to witness to people and try and win souls to the Lord.
So aim for legacy. Quit your worrying. Quit feeling sorry for yourselves. Quit your backslidings. Quit examining yourselves and start examining the Saviour. Put your eyes on him and get your eyes off yourselves. That's the problem. Nine times out of ten, that is the problem. You start to look at yourself and it's no good. You see, it's like this. Let's say you've just been sentenced to a crime and the judge says, I'm going to give you life without parole, which means just that you will never come out, you will never get to parole, you will probably die inside. There's no point beating yourself up. There's no point uh, criticizing yourself. There's no point afflicting yourself. You are condemned and therefore you will die condemned. There's no help whatsoever for you. It's a terrible thought. And doesn't that picture hell? And yet, what you can do is take a pardon. And that pardon, of course, comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. You will never be declared not guilty because you are guilty without pardon will allow you to walk free because the governor being the Lord Jesus Christ has allowed you to walk free not on what you've done but on what he has done for you and I think if people got that down if people could understand that you'd have much less of this self-righteous talk and critical people acting like junior partners in their atonement and as a result robbing the Lord of his glory so take the pardon receive it take it with both hands thank him for it thank him every day for saving you thank him for the basics in your life like the food you eat the air you breathe or things you take for granted and I know that if you do so he will bless you even more thank him for his word thank him for the lessons that you have learnt and apologize for the ones you haven't and use those blessings that come your way to further glorify him and bring people to him okay well I'm out of time so I'm going to sign out and I wish you every blessing and one last time, quit your worryings and start worshipping. Amen and Amen.